0: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort.
1: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem (laughs) of a detour.
2: Sponsored by McDonald's Black and Positively Golden Change Leaders. Hey y'all, and welcome to Trials to Triumphs. I'm Ashley Blaine Featherston Jenkins, but you can call me ABFJ. This week, my Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority incorporated big sister, media executive, and author of The Other Side of Yet, Michelle Horde, talks to me about finding joy and gratitude on the other side of tragedy. Michelle's world flipped upside down after losing her beloved seven-year-old daughter at the hands of her ex-husband. Life can throw such devastating blows our way, many of which we have little to no control over. But it's not our experiences that define us. It's what we choose to do next.
3: The life I knew had burned to the ground and I could have walked into the flames or I could have decided I'm going to keep walking. I'm not gonna stop in the middle of the fire. I'm going to keep walking until I get to the other side. I don't know what's there. I don't know what it'll cost. But I think I'm supposed to keep walking.
2: Hi, Michelle. Welcome to Hello. the pod. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm so um excited to not only chat with you, but also just um Grow with you. So, uh, welcome. And, you know, uh, we haven't met in person, but you're
3: my AKA profite. And that's really exciting. I mean, but like to the eighth power, if I'm going to tell on my age, but yes,
0: absolutely. <laughs> so you're my
2: big sister. So yes. I'm grateful that we have that to share um, during this conversation too. Um, so we're both Howard University alums.
3: Absolutely.
2: Uh, let's start there. What would you say uh, Howard gave you? What's your biggest, uh, the the best thing Howard gave you?
3: The best thing Howard gave me, and this would be inclusive of the sorority, but even beyond that, is just an extended family framily mm-hmm. um, that people are astonished by. You know, people that don't have that Howard experience, that HBCU experience, where No, no, no. Going to Homecoming isn't, you know, a fundraiser each year. Like people 20 years older and 20 years younger than me are all going to be up on this yard and it means the same to all of them. So just the connectivity with each other uh, that, you know, even if you don't know someone, when you hear they're from Howard, they're just, oh, okay. Yes. Um, So it, it has provided in times of celebration and in times of pain and tribulation, um, just incredible, incredible community.
2: Community. That's the biggest takeaway for me too from Howard is just lifelong community and lifelong support everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. There's going to be somebody that's a Howard alum and that's going to say what you need. I got you and vice versa. So I'm so absolutely grateful for that. Um, before we dive in, dive in, I'm going to start with some icebreaker questions. Are you down? Okay. Okay. You, like me, are really big on keeping a gratitude box. I Mm -hmm. keep a gratitude jar. Um, I have been doing it for many, 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 many years. I like to, it's clear, Mm because I like to see things accumulating. Um, So I want to ask you, what's something recently that you put inside of your gratitude box?
0: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or
1: and on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches, but there's only one Crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
3: Clear blue sky. Like just mm. piercing blue, no clouds. We've had all these crazy storms. But, you know, it's like being healthy. We take it for granted until it's not there. So after several very stormy days, just like an artist, painter, creator, blue sky.
2: Mm. It's it's funny you said blue sky because I recently was in Santa Fe visiting one of my closest, dearest friends. And the clouds were just gorgeous. I just found Mm. myself like... Staring at the clouds, all the different shapes, how clear they were they just i wanted to just bounce in them it was it was really <laughs> you know i i it's i always i'm I'm really trying to take moments for myself now in my life to uh really soak in things like a clear blue sky a beautiful cumulus cloud, uh, rain that just is really loud. You know, All of these things Mm -hmm. that I think you can spend your life just acting like they're just happenstance and it's the seasons Mm -hmm. and it's the elements and it just happens. But it's not until you really notice a a sky that's super clear and blue and beautiful that you realize the sky isn't always like that. And I think in a lot of ways, it can be a metaphor for life. If you just take a second, you can be uh surprised by how clear things seem, are, and feel. So I well, I love that you said
3: I, that. I I think gratitude as a practice is like other muscles, right? You build them up over time. Um and they can atrophy. Um mm. so even if it's, you know, as we say in the Baptist church, thank you, Lord, for waking me up this morning, right? Yes. Just um Reminding yourself that in every hour, even the darkest hours, there is still something to be grateful for.
2: <sighs> it's um, gratitude. I think is the most important daily practice. It, it, it's and it's the one that I think is the most sustaining. Um, the ability to find joy in the midst of pain, in the midst mm-hmm. of sorrow, and I think um, a lot of us struggle in life to figure out. How to make space for joy when you mm-hmm. when you're at the bottom, and again, we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, before, I want to talk about Detroit. So you're from Detroit. When you think about Detroit, what are the thoughts that come to mind, and and what what's the most special thing for you
3: about home? <sighs> um, I think the most special thing is just the you know every city now says this strong that strong this strong detroit strong detroit versus everybody mm. <laughs> just the the perseverance uh of this city and the city's people everything from my childhood of of watching you know the ability for especially people of color to make a really nice middle class lifestyle for themselves buy houses because they were on the front lines, not because they went to college, not because they had $100,000 worth of debt, Um, and just how that's changed over the years. And yet that spirit, that love, that sense of community, um, looking out for each other. Uh, So I've spent the majority of my adult life on the East Coast, and we moved to the East Coast as I was finishing high school. And I still have moments now where I'm like, wait a minute, where are you from? Uh, Because there's (laughs) something about that like Detroit, you know, Michigan, Midwest, you know, shy town, I'd give the same love. Mm-hmm. You know, just openness where the first thing folks don't ask is what do you do? You know, um <laughs> that they may actually want to hear about you.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so well, I, I think I so much heart.
2: of that is because in Detroit, especially when you were growing up and and uh, very much so now too, so many people did the same thing. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have, right. you didn't have to say, what do you do? Where are you at? Everybody, somebody worked at at a, at a plant and that was cool. Yeah. And that was, that was, that was community. It felt like we don't have to, to talk about rankings. Well, and- I
3: I think the other thing is status. I mean, mm. quite frankly, I think there's something um, in LA, what do you do is about connections, right? Because so much of the town is connected. Your waiter's in the business, your bartender's in the business, your Uber driver, Um, and I think in New York, whether it's financial services or media, there is, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a status piece to it.
2: Um, Mm. where
3: it's not just water cool, it's not just a icebreaker. It's like, oh, and what do you do there? And how long have you been there? (laughs) That, um, where people like to rank a bit, whether they realize that's what they're doing or not.
2: And it's tough because you're always feeling like, how do I measure up? And especially when it changes, your rankings can change, especially when you're an artist. There's times mm-hmm. when you're an artist that's making a whole lot of money or a bartender that's making a whole lot of money. There's there's times when that restaurant closes and you're out of work or when that show ends and you're trying to find work again. So it, 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 it can kind of mess with your mind a little bit when you're always trying to figure out how do I measure up?
3: Yes. And I think the key to all of that, and it's not easy, is self-worth being internal, right? Mm. Who you are is not defined by a union, by a byline or a credit um, or a bank account. And when it is, you put yourself in the position where somebody else is calling the shots about how much you matter. When you establish, and again, I'm not saying it's easy, especially not in certain businesses like the entertainment business, but- Kind of having that grounding in something beyond what people see or what other people maybe value. But what do you value about you that no one can take away?
2: Mm. Now, a
3: word from our sponsor.
2: For more than 65 years, McDonald's has been investing in Black leaders who are taking steps today to own tomorrow. Like through their newest program, McDonald's 2023 Black and Positively Golden Change Leaders. This campaign shines a light on 10 young Black leaders who are inspiring and positively impacting change in their communities and beyond. Like Justice for Black Girls founder, Brianna Baker, who cultivates student activism and policy work, develops curriculum that combats the misrepresentation of Black girlhood and provides monetary relief for Black girl activists and Camille Bridgewater, co-founder of First Generation Gyms, a nonprofit supporting students of color with mentorships and material aid. All year long, McDonald's is supporting their efforts and helping boost their profiles, including granting $20,000 to each change leader. Because when you have the courage to start something, you can change everything. McDonald's also continues to foster the black community year-round in more ways too like through awarding scholarships to HBCU students and forming impactful partnerships with organizations like Boys and Girls Club of America. Learn more at mcdchangeleaders.com and follow on Instagram at golden. Back to our conversation. So was there a moment in your life? uh, Did something happen when you said, listen, Michelle, you got to value yourself. You have to know your value in the world.
3: I think the beginning of that was... um, My mother died suddenly um, at the age of 50 of a cerebral aneurysm, Mm. and I was 24. And I worshipped my mother. And in fact, my worst nightmare growing up until I lost her was losing her. And at the time, her mother was dying of cancer. And so I lost my mother and my maternal grandmother in three months. Mm. And so it did a couple of things. My mother used to always say, um, ironically, nothing is life and death, but life and death. So it stabilized that for me, which means what you're grateful for, what you take for granted, perspective, right, starts to look different. yeah, and you know there's there's a bit of a fearlessness or um, courage that you feel when you realize somehow, through God's grace, through resilience, through family and community, you are living through what was your worst nightmare? that I think adds to that as well.
2: Mm. When you became a mother, how much of yourself did you realize was so much like your own mother?
3: A frightening amount. Um, (laughs) And I'll tell you, in some ways, it didn't take that long. I always was mentor and big sister to people at work and in college. Um, But certainly when I had my daughter and I would catch myself saying certain things was like, did did that just come out of my mouth? How did mm-hmm. that come out of my mouth? Um, and I think there was also, you know, also having a same-sex child, um, getting to sort of watch a, a younger version of you in a different time and place under different circumstances and to self-monitor that need to want them to fulfill whatever you didn't fulfill, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, also, this tremendous blessing of getting to be on the other side of a mother daughter experience um because mm. I had a wonderful mother daughter experience. It was complicated as they all are, yes, they are, but to They're have beautiful the beautiful, and so mm. to have the privilege to be on the other side for Mother's Day to once again be joyful mm. to start family traditions that you know my daughter could one day hopefully carry on. You know, it, there there was a piece of it that felt like I was filling in a space that had been hollow for a very long time.
2: Mm. I know that faith is a big part of your life. How would you describe your faith practice today? And how how has it strengthened? How has it grown?
3: You know, I grew up in the Baptist church. My grandfather was a Baptist minister. And it's funny just through osmosis from sitting there and maybe not wanting to be squirming as a little kid, right? <laughs> the verses, the songs, the the prayers that just become a part of who you are. And what I realized when my mother died was that I had this incredible insurance policy that what I had been taught to believe actually worked. And that when I got to my lowest point I was tethered to something greater than myself, Mm. Um, and that certainly I, in my mind, could not have gotten through um, that pain without something greater than me. Um, And that even grew (laughs) exponentially when I, you know, years later dealt with the very sudden and tragic loss of my child.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, Michelle, if you could, to the extent that you're willing, could you you know, share the events uh, that led up to you writing your book, The Other Side of Yet? And I also want to talk about the title, uh, if you can, um, how it came to you, uh, what it means to you, uh, and why it was important for you to title your
3: book, The Other Side of Yet. Absolutely. Um, so I had heard most of my young adult life that I've probably would have a difficult time having a child. Being a mother was something I wanted more than anything. Um, And I got married uh, to someone I had known really since I was in my uh, early 20s who went to college with my brother. We got married in our late 30s. And so my daughter was born when I was 39. Mm. And healthy, beautiful child. Um, And the love of my life and the love of my husband's life. And over several years, as can happen, you know, it became clear to me that my idea of what it meant to be a spouse, to be a parent, um, were different than his. And, you know, sometimes people say the right things, but when it comes time to live it, it's mm-hmm. different.
0: Mm-hmm. And so,
3: you know, through prayer, through counseling, through, you know, I think when you make extraordinarily difficult decisions. You want to feel like you've done everything you can um, to remedy it, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, over a period of a few years, um, I did everything that I could to try to save our our marriage. And then it became very clear that this was not best for me. And frankly, perhaps was not best for my daughter. Um, You know, I think, a lot of kids grow up with do as I say and not as I do, and I wanted to emulate what um, being a respected, cherished wife and mother looks like, and unfortunately, I couldn't do that um, and continue to be married to her father. Mm-hmm. So we had a very tumultuous back-and-forth divorce process. Um You know, people become different people during these processes. It's it's just unbelievable, as the stories I've had people share with me. And on June 5th, 2017, uh, at that time, I moved out because I didn't want my daughter exposed to any drama uh, whatsoever because it had not been the house where she was exposed to that. So I moved out, and she would go between our family home where my husband lived and a rental home that I was in. June 5th, 2017, he finally agreed to sign the divorce papers. I, crying all the way back to the house, praising the Lord, calling on my, you know, prayer warriors, it's finally happened, we're going to be able to move on. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget the last thing we said to each other, which was, he said to me, I'm sorry for all the things that have happened. In the past year. And I said, that's okay. All that matters is that we were friends first and that we Mm -hmm. love our daughter and that we can continue to co parent this little girl. And the next day I went to work. It was a normal day. I was supposed to go over to the family house after work to meet him and Gabrielle and talk about next steps. And midday, I received a phone call out of a horror movie where my caregiver had come to the house. Um, unexpectedly, I found out later, and um, had clearly walked into a crime scene. So my first thought was, he's killed himself. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, how am I going to explain this to Gabrielle? How? And then I went into this little quiet space, you know, they call them phone booth spaces now, like in convention mm-hmm. spaces, and called a mom from the school and said, was Gabrielle at school today?
0: Mm.
3: And she said, no. And then I fell to my knees and said, God, I don't know what I'm going to walk into, but please just give me the strength to endure it. And went on the longest ride of my life uh, back home to New Rochelle in the suburbs of New York from my office. And my girlfriend who was driving you know, kept trying to convince me, you know, come up with all of these scenarios that weren't worst-case scenarios. Mm -hmm. But I just knew. I knew. I knew. And so as I arrived in front of the house, um, there was police tape up, there was an ambulance, Mm -hmm. there was a crowd, and there was my pastor who said to me, grabbed me out of the car and said, it's true, Um, And my then-husband had murdered our child, our seven-year-old daughter, and uh, was in the hospital in police custody. After that, being driven away back to my rental house, I got on my phone and Googled a verse in Job. And the verse is, though he slay me, yet do I trust him.
2: Mm.
3: And I remember that evening as people started to arrive at the house, um, being on our knees, praying and crying at one point, and me saying over and over, though he slayed me, yet do I trust him? It's the last thing I said when I uh, did the eulogy for Gabrielle uh, at her funeral. And it became a battle cry. You know, what, what was clear to me was this was worse than my worst nightmare. This was worse than my worst nightmare. And so it felt like the devil came at me with everything he had. And so there must be something powerful that God has for me to do in this world. And I was not going to, I was not going to be taken out. Mm. I was not going to be taken out. And so my instinct was to fight for Gabrielle for her memory, and for whatever it was that I couldn't see or understand that perhaps God had for me to do in the world.
0: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of Life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic, because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort.
1: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McKrispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
2: what um how how does gabrielle come to you now does she come to you in dreams does she come to you in like random memories throughout the day how do you feel her throughout your life
3: i feel her everywhere but i can tell you from the day after i lost her i started to see a cardinal a red cardinal and i had never really paid much attention to cardinals and this cardinal would almost like follow me around like would would kind of hop around and sit at my feet while I was outside every morning mm-hmm. um, and through the years that has continued to be a sign, I have been deep in thought and worried about something, and a cardinal will just land in a tree in front of me wow. um, you know I'll hear a cardinal chirping in the background if I'm having a breakthrough with my therapist on a phone call. So that has definitely been there. And I think that, you know, if you are open, there's so much we don't understand, right? If you are open to the universe, if you are open to nature, there are Mm. so many ways God can send people, can send nature, can send all sorts of things to intercede and remind you um, that those spirits are never gone. And so I'm open to those moments um, when they happen.
2: Mm. What was your first step in your fight? So you, you were dealing with grief and you're still dealing with grief, but I'm talking about in kind of like the, the initial time, unfortunately, when um, you lost Gabrielle, what was the first step in, I'm going to fight. This is not going to take me out too. And, and what did that look like?
3: Yeah, you'd ask me about the book title, yes. The Other Side of Yet, yes. and it comes from two places. One is that verse in Job, though he slay me yet, do I trust him? And how do you get to the other side, to the I will trust him again?
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: And the book is divided into before, yet, and after, Um, because we all, whether it's sickness or divorce or, you know, we all have a moment in our life where we say, oh my God, my life is never going to look like I thought it would. And the choice in that moment is whether or not we're going to keep going. Are we going to keep trying? Are we going to keep walking? And once we pivot and say, yet, I can still keep fighting. Yet I I want to have a life. Yet I, I think there's something more for me to do in the world, that's when you know everything can open up. And so that is what the book is about. Um, and also, the, the title is, the part of it is just the irony of starting at America's Most Wanted, working on missing children stories, flying all over the country, and being on one side of police tape throughout my career at different places, and then what it meant to be on the other side of that police tape, to be the mm. mother, to be on the other side, frankly, of being interviewed. Um, and what it can look like when you've experienced both sides of the coin and what that Some of the wisdom and learning that I've had over the years working with mothers, working with people that have survived tornadoes, et cetera, right? All the things that people go through and how that resilience um, in human spirit comes through. Mm -hmm. And for me, the first step, the first building block was deciding I was going to survive. You know, the life I knew had burned to the ground and I could have walked into the flames. Or I could have decided, I'm going to keep walking. I'm not going to stop in the middle of the fire. I'm going to keep Mm. walking until I get to the other side. I don't know what's there. I don't know what it'll cost. But I I think I'm supposed to keep walking. And so consciously making that decision.
2: Consciously making the decision to just keep walking. I think that's the thing. That's faith. You know, that's That's faith. That's... Um, believing in what you cannot see. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't know what was ahead, but I think what what I'm getting is that you had already faced your worst nightmare.
3: Well, yes, I, certainly losing my mother and then at that moment losing my daughter. Yes. So, you know, th- I my worst nightmares, right? Mm-hmm. And so if I was to survive those things, and was given the tools to keep going, then maybe it wasn't about me. Maybe it was about the holes in my body allowing God's light to come through for other people. Yes. And that's what I started to learn. I I didn't plan to write a book. I've always been a writer. I've always enjoyed creative writing. But this is not a book anyone would ever choose to write. Of course. Um, but as I started walking on this grief journey and wrote poems and uh, journaled, I found that other people were helped. And I realized that perhaps in my walk, even though I was just walking, somebody else got the courage to start walking again too. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like it was something I was supposed to share.
2: Yes. What did, or how... How do you ex- how do you describe experiencing joy in the midst of sadness? And did you ever um, feel the guilt for for doing that? I think sometimes a lot of people that are on their grief journey, which for some of us can be lifelong, they they feel guilty for feeling joy when they feel like I've heard a lot of people say I just feel like I'm not supposed to experience any joy. I'm supposed to be mourning this or I'm supposed to be sad about that. So. Um, what did that feel like for you and
3: or what does it feel like for you, and did did you feel the guilt associated with it? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It is definitely something at different you know, inflection points in life where things happen where I absolutely have felt it. Um, because what it feels like is to, you know, to love, to have joy, to laugh is somehow betraying your pain. Mm. And what I learned was that grief does not get smaller. Your capacity gets bigger. And so yes. at times you shrink back down and it, it is your whole being. You know, something happens, it triggers. But that over time, you, you're able to grow around it. And that more than one thing can be true at the same time. Yes. I can be in love and get married again and find love, which I did, and be heartbroken that my circumstances, you know, created a situation where I met my husband, you know, my mm. second husband. Um, so, you know, it is it's it is so complex, um, but we as humans are complex. And giving ourselves permission to feel what we feel on the good days and the bad, and the good moments and the bad is just so important. Um, I remember I talk about it in the book, a couple of my line sisters being at my house, and you know, my entire line was going to come to Gabrielle's service, and mm-hmm. they were talking about on this chat, and they didn't want me to know what they were chatting about, but you know, you know your people. I'm like, what's going on over there on the group chat? Yes. Well, folks <laughs> want to know what to wear. Mm-hmm. And I've always been a bit snarky. And sarcastic, and so I said, "Tell them I want everyone to wear red dresses and white pillbox hats." (laughs) Now, of course, our sorority colors are pink and green. Yes, (laughs) and it was this, and they dot like they just cracked up, and they. I was like, "Let's see who buys, who who bites, right?" And you know, guessed, and we're right about the people who were like, "Um, is she sure that's what she wants us to do?" (laughs) But you know, it's like in the middle of all this, hard. It's like I'm still Michelle. I'm yeah. still the smartass, snarky, like I had to remind myself and wanted to remind other people. And you do, I think we talked a lot about gratitude earlier. Mm-hmm. Gratitude and perspective of a clear crystal blue day or of a honry laugh, <laughs> mischievous laugh. How much you can appreciate those appreciate those things when you have just been to the depths of hell. Mm. So that you know, ability to laugh and love and keep um, trying—I won't say it gets easier, but I've learned that that is just part of the walk, and the grief goes with me.
2: Mm, The grief goes with you, and it's okay. It's okay. Absolutely, it can come because you have different—you form different tools. Um, and you uh, are able to uh, accept what comes and what has to go, like it's it's all a part of, I think a, a big part of what we're talking about too is acceptance. That doesn't mean you have to like it. You don't have to like it. They're The most horrific of circumstances, but accepting the circumstances allows you to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And, you know, Michelle, you've been able to touch so many people changed so many lives like that is i mean that is continuing a legacy and and that i think is is taking the worst and doing your best with it um what would you say thank you
3: for that thank yeah,
2: you yeah I, I mean it. i i really do mean it like to know that you lost your child but you've saved so mm. many that is that's that is, like I said, doing the best with what you got. It's doing It's doing above and beyond uh, what what anybody could have expected you to have been able to do and to still be able to smile in the midst of it. Michelle, mm-hmm. is just i'm I'm deeply inspired. I want to talk uh, again about Gabrielle. I want to know, mm-hmm. what is the greatest? What's your favorite memory of her? I'm sure you have a lot, but I just want to know like a really beautiful, heartwarming memory about Gabrielle. And then I also want to know, what is the greatest gift she's ever given you?
3: So you're right. Picking one memory is tough, but um, I think about the last Mother's Day we had together Mm-hmm. Um, I lost her just a couple of weeks after Mother's Day and she brought home this little, um, bag of dirt that was supposed to have, you know, a seeds for a plant and she had mm-hmm. dumped it upside down. So she was completely freaked out that, you know, she had somehow ruined it and we put it back together and it grew and it grew. I still have, um, you know, a plant six and a half years later that has continued to grow and wow. create new plants. So, There's just something beautiful about life, um, something that she touched, um, continuing to grow and develop, um, even though she's frozen in time um, at, you know, seven and a half as her friends are turning 14. Mm. Uh, She would have turned 14 last week.
2: Mm. So,
3: you know, that life, I think, and seeing it and remembering that moment uh, when I look at the plant now is incredibly powerful. And when I think of, of who she was, wicked sense of humor, very smart, Mm. bubbly, like almost like her feet didn't touch the ground, bubbly (laughs) uh, personality, much more courageous than her mommy had been at her age. I marveled at her courage. Mm. And when I, when she passed away, I got this incredible gift from the school where her classmates put together pictures and words about what she meant to them. And there were children that said, she was my first friend in Girl Scouts. Um, Gabrielle was the one that always got someone off of the buddy bench if they needed someone to play with. Mm. And those aren't things a seven-year-old comes home from the second grade and tells you, right? Yeah. So to learn about the person your baby was becoming mm. um, and the kindness um, You know, I think that for me was the greatest joy and gift as a mother to know that she was a kind child who sought out those who perhaps did not have the things that she had, whether that's emotionally, you know, all the things. But that at seven, she was able to discern that.
2: I want you to talk a little bit, if you can, about what it feels like to be a mother still when your child is no longer on the earthly plane with you and and how your walk has been in that.
3: Yeah, there's something about feeling like you are the the missing link in a chain, right? Like I am a motherless daughter and a daughterless mother. Mm. And so part of that, and I always, again, wanted to be a mother. And I pray that God will give me a way to be a mother again. Um, but really the mother's heart in me knew that Gabrielle was a brown child of privilege. She had a mommy that went to college. She was going to have certain exposure, certain opportunities that a lot of brown little girls don't have. So through her foundation, through Gabrielle's wings, we work to ensure that those black and brown children who look like Gabrielle, but would not have had the privilege that she has, that we can stand in the gap. And that's a mother's heart. A mother's heart is wanting the best you can get for your children, right? Giving them everything you can. And so we work to help other parents and caregivers and organizations give our babies the best we can, Um, especially in those elementary, those, you know, those pivotal elementary age years where everything really is decided, right? Kids get tracked by the time they're in the third or fourth grade. So we work to intervene early um and that's from my mother's heart it's from what i wanted for my baby and mm-hmm. now wanting that for other children
2: yes and that's a blessing like that again yes you know i, I just want to reiterate to any mothers who again are on the earthly plane without their, daughter, their their children that you are still a mother you're always a mother um once a mother, always a mother, and I just think that is. And and there's the cool thing about being a, a mother is that you can do it in so many different ways. Like you said, you can mm-hmm. mother children that aren't that aren't yours. You're you're mothering <laughs> through through your foundation. Like that is just. I mean, it's amazing how much your heart has still been able to grow in the midst of such tragedy and 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 sadness. Uh, Michelle, how did you learn? To trust again after the greatest betrayal, how did you? How did you learn to do that? And have you been able to truly forgive, girl?
3: That's my answer. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> uh, I. You know, God's, God is amazing. Like I could have never imagined falling in love again. I could have Mm. never imagined trusting again. But what happened was I kept walking step by step, you know, as if the earth formed underneath each foot and worked on myself. And God had someone prepared for me to meet me. Mm. Um, and I met my husband. He's Bahamian uh, in the Bahamas. At a resort where I've had a timeshare my entire adult life, where I would bring Gabrielle all the time. It was our happy place. What? And, you know, during the criminal trial, I went several times just to sort of breathe. And my now husband would watch this woman who stared out into the ocean and wonder what she was thinking.
2: Mm -mm.
3: No. And I was thinking about my daughter. And I was thinking about my baby girl who I'd been on that beach with. And, Fast forward, you know, a few years later, we get locked up during COVID together, which could be a whole nother show. Um, and it worked. Um, it either did or didn't for people, right? Yes. You found out what was good during COVID. I got married in COVID. So I get it. I got married. (laughs) Listen, folks either were in or out because of COVID. Yes. And we fell in love in this crazy time and got married on that same beach. Um, In December of 2021. Wow, wow, wow.
2: He's another part of your journey that was always waiting for you on the other side of yet.
3: Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely, I love that
2: story, Michelle.
3: On that beach, you were, the story is that's a, that's another book. Are you writing that book? It's I am starting <laughs> on it. I am because we also had. There's a big age difference, and so my girlfriends have been calling me Stella for three years. So, oh my goodness, you know, my story is like, what if you know it would have all worked out with Stella and her man? Because here we are. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Michelle. Well,
2: actually, I'll leave that for what my takeaway is. Um, So actually, let's close there. What has been your takeaway from our conversation?
3: I love how much you have focused on gratitude. Hmm. And, you know, I think, again, like working out, those muscles can atrophy. And so you have reminded me um, how incredibly important it is and how useful of a tool it is and so I'm going to make sure I get back on the gratitude uh, recumbent bike and <laughs> am consistent, consistent yeah. in saying out loud those things that I'm grateful for, um, mm. especially in uncertain times, right? Yeah. So that was my takeaway for sure.
2: My takeaway, and it, it um, makes me emotional, is that it's so important to be a good person. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And you're a good person, Michelle. And so even in the midst of the worst, good things have still and will continue to come to you and happen for you. And to hear about your kind of most recent other side of yet is proof that if you are a good person if you stay good in the midst of when things can harden you, when things can make you become the worst that was done to you, and you say, no, I will not succumb to being slayed. You thought you slayed me. You did not. Look at your life now. And I am just so inspired by that. And and I will not take lightly any longer when people say that about me that I am a good Mm -hmm. person. Gabrielle was a good person. That's what her Mm -hmm. friends were saying. That was what you said Mm -hmm. was your greatest gift that you received was- From the mouth of babes, right? From the mouth of babes, your baby was a good person and she has a good mother. Mm -hmm. And I am just so touched by that. And And I am so inspired to continue to do more good, be more good, and surround myself with more good, Michelle. So thank you so That's much. Beautiful. Yeah, thank I you. honor you, Michelle. I I wa- I want. can't wait to hug you in person. Hopefully we see each other at I homecoming. Know. I know you're my <laughs> big sister anyway. So I just so appreciate you. And um, even with this podcast, you'll just continue to touch lives. And I can't wait for your next book.
3: Uh, I'm coming to the signing. I'm working on it. I'm going on a book on tour
2: with you. I'm going to just be your little Listen, sidekick on the book we tour. We have
3: <laughs> we have a lot to talk about off air, girl. <laughs> yes. Thank you
2: so much, Michelle. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Yes. Amazing. Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by LWC Studios for OWN. The show's executive producer is Juleka Lantigua. Our managing producers are Fatima El Swiffy and Paulina Velasco. Shanice Tindall is our lead producer. Associate producer is Mona Hassan. Jordan Thompson is our marketing coordinator. This episode was mixed by Trin Lightburn. Michelle Baker is our video editor. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, and we hope you did, please make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and review wherever you listen to your podcast to ensure you hear the next one.
1: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches, but there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.